Hello and welcome to episode 113 of the official EstablishTheRun.com podcast. My name is Adam Levitan. I'm the father of the most beautiful beast in the world, Jerry. And we are coming off of Rare. We saw that coming week in tournaments. I mean, when you take a 13-game slate and before the slate starts, you can very plausibly say, well, the best stack is Russ, Lockett, Metcalf, bring it back with Gallup. And that turns out to be the nut stack. I mean, that's just wild. Like for something to make that much sense and to turn out to be the Stones, it's something, you know. And obviously, like Seattle throwing at the league's second highest rate above expectation. Dallas's defense banged up and bad. Dallas's offense more than capable of forcing Seattle to keep their foot on the gas. Russ's target share so condensed to the two wideouts in Lockett and Metcalf, those wideouts being elite talents. And then for the bringback, you know, Amari and Lamb having. By far the most projected ownership, Gallup, you know, who we know is hashtag good, relatively cheap, and low owns, like easy game, right? And actually, since there was no Christian McCaffrey, there was no Saquon, no Michael Thomas, no Mahomes, no Kelsey, no Kittle, no Devontae Adams, no Kamara, no Lamar Jackson, etc. on this slate, and narrowed down the choices even more. You know, and without those stars on the slate, you could easily fit the Russ stacks. We had Mike Davis, we had Singletary, we had Isabella, we had Hamler. We could punt tight end with literally, you know, no good options on the slate of tight end. So my point here isn't really that the Seattle stacks printing in large field GPPs is a sign that we should be playing the quote unquote obvious stacks going forward in large field GPPs. I think it was just a unique set of circumstances in matchup, in pricing, and most importantly, in slate context, you know, but just something to think about. I'd also add that since Gallup was only 7% owned, the cumulative ownership on some of these winning lineups uh, stayed in check. Anyways, let's start with cash. And I thought that there were some decisions for sure, mainly with Mike Davis and Devin Singletary and what you could do with the savings they got you. And look, you know, Mike Davis especially, but Devin Singletary as well, you know, they both play really well in the pass game and they both have competent QB play. And I thought both are really likely to play 90% plus of the snaps. Fading backs like this in cash when they're 5,100, when they're 4,900 is not something I would normally do. But in this weird slate with DeAndre Hopkins, literally the only guy above 7K I was interested in, I didn't end up on Mike Davis or Devin Singletary. And at wide receiver, you know, the big decision was Metcalf versus Lockett versus Amari. And honestly, I didn't have a great week, but it could have been a disaster if I didn't if I didn't land on Lockett. Uh, in projection, we had them all very close. I thought that with Amari's history of inconsistency, and poor road splits combined with already having CeeDee Lamb on the team, uh, Amari was out. In terms of Metcalf versus Lockett, I thought Lockett's floor was significantly higher as the primary slot man. And I also had Metcalf and Amari on FanDuel, so there was some hedging going on there. Speaking of that, you know, people ask me all the time, how can you play just one cash lineup, Adam? That, that's crazy. This week is an example, you know, hedging across sites, as I just described. You know, I played Singletary and Goddard, and Big Dog at Big Dog Derrick Henry at 1 p.m. only got some exposure to them. I played Mike Davis at 4 p.m. only slate, got some exposure to him. And then also through, you know, I thought Drew Sample versus Logan Thomas was close. I played LT3 in main slate cash for the better usage, the better athleticism, but I had Sample on two of my eight GBP teams. Oh, I wanted to make one more point on cash before we move on. You know, the 1 p.m. games did not go well for me, I had Miles Sanders underperform. I had Deontay Johnson take an air ball due to injury. Had Logan Thomas get just seven points. I think at that point, there was 
merit to considering a swap. But Miles was around 80% owned. Deontay Johnson was 45% owned. Logan Thomas was 45% owned as well. And I did have the Eagles defense also play at 1 p.m. They played reasonably well. They beat the Giants defense badly. And a lot of uh, people played Giants defense also. So Eagles defense beat Giants defense 8 to negative 2. So it was close. I, I didn't end up thinking that there was a need to swap. Maybe mainly because Singletary didn't go off. And Giants D got beat by Eagles D. You know, if Singletary had had 25 or 30, there would have been more merit. Or if Goddard or Ertz or Sample played well and I was stuck there with Logan Thomas, there would have been more merit. I just didn't think that I was that far behind. You know, but certainly something to think about. Okay, let's get to tournaments. And like I said, I made eight I made eight teams this week. Best one was, of course, a version of what I already talked about. Russ, Metcalf, Lockett, Amari, no Gallup because I'm a sick fish. Uh, Mike Davis, Devin Singletary, Kenyon Drake, Sample, and Brown's defense. Uh, I really wanted to get to the expensive defenses in tournaments in week three, Tampa, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Indy, all four in great spots. And expensive defenses are almost always on their own. You know, for example, in this, you know, $100 spy I was in, uh, the Browns were 2.4% owned with Thorns, number two offensive line, defensive line mismatch at home against Dwayne Haskins. I mean, 2.4%. That's crazy. I also want to note on GPPs, Mike Davis's ownership of 5.3%. And that's just wild for someone with his pass catching ability his projected role, but I knew that his ownership would get squeezed down once Devin Singletary came open on the Zach Moss news and so many people on Drake and JT and Miles, including myself. So so that was good um, on Mike Davis. What was bad about this lineup was cumulative ownership, you know, up at 145.5%. I think that's okay. I'd never want to go above 150. 145 is pushing it, but Gallup over Amari and then up at tight end from Sample in hindsight would have been better. One thing I wanted to mention about the way the Colts game went and, and Jonathan Taylor. I know that in a vacuum, running back and defense in the same lineup, running back and defense from the same team in the same lineup correlates well. I mean, nothing massive, but it's a positive correlation. But for large field tournaments, I'm really starting to think that's not the case. I know Dink has touched on this as well. We need our defense to go nuclear, you know, to score a defensive touchdown or two. When that happens, the plays run and time of possession for the running back are just in serious jeopardy. So we saw it Sunday, the biggest mismatch of like we've ever seen. Jet, you know, the Jets are just so overwhelmed by the Colts everywhere. Jets run 60 plays and Colts run just 56. I mean, it's brutal. And how does that happen? Well, two defensive touchdowns is exactly how it happens. So there was just no way that JT and Colts D together could get to the top in that setup. And I'm not talking about cashing or anything. I'm, I'm not talking about positive correlation. Yes, it has positive correlation. Yes, you can obviously cash. I'm talking about outright winning. Okay, the last thing I want to talk about before we move on to listener questions. Uh, I have gotten a few questions about why I don't talk about FanDuel as much, why we don't cover FanDuel Showdown, aka one game slates as much. So there are a few reasons. First of all, Sunday was an example of absolutely egregious pricing by FanDuel. Um, I mean, beyond egregious. It was a literal stone pick Like salaries didn't even matter. You could get whoever you wanted. Dallas Goddard, arguably the best tight end on the slate, was 5,200, barely over minimum. They barely adjusted Jonathan Taylor's salary, left him at 6,700. DK Metcalf, 6,500. Amari, 7K. Lockett, 6,800. When adjusted for FanDuel's salary cap, these prices are just beyond absurd. So the bottom line is quite simply that there isn't a lot to talk about on FanDuel, right? Like there just aren't a lot of decisions to make when going for the optimal. Then add in that DraftKings tournaments are bigger and so more people are interested 
And then we have so many more players in play on DraftKings because the pricing is tighter. You know, for example, KJ Hamler wasn't even a remote thought on FanDuel because you could get, you know, Darius Slayton for hardly any more or DK Metcalf for not that much more. But on DraftKings, well, Hamler was in play for cash, you know? So I will say this, you know, some people think soft pricing is better for casuals, but it's really not. Like the more efficient the pricing is, the fewer mistakes that casuals can make. So yes, on FanDuel, you can get some incredibly soft action because people can really blow it. Like not playing Goddard at 5,200 on Sunday or passing on Metcalf at 6,500 or Jonathan Taylor at 6,700. Like if you did that, you know, people hang themselves a lot harder on FanDuel. So as someone who's talked, you know, just last week and, and talked a lot over the years about whole concept of prove it, and, and I do get that. But the discussion just isn't that interesting. Our projections and top plays are going to reflect these just wild no-brainers on FanDuel. And yeah, as for showdowns, so the problem with uh, FanDuel showdown is they only use five players instead of six, and the captain spot is not 1.5x salary like on DraftKings. So you need to have the top scoring player and captain in order to win. There's not a lot of, you know, thought where like last night some people played, I don't know, Justin Tucker or Harrison Bucker or, you know, Nick Boyle in captain on DraftKings because there's theory with it. Um, the game is just so absurd on FanDuel. We're not even sure that it's beatable. You know, much, much, much smarter people than me have done the math on FanDuel's showdown game and aren't sure that it's beatable. Um, anyway, I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent here because, again, I do think there's good action on FanDuel if you can get in good games, you know, which isn't always easy. But if you can get in good games on FanDuel, I mean, there's some really good action. And I know people will say, uh, you know, hey, Adam is just biased towards DraftKings, you know, he was part of the DK Pro program for five years. And, and yeah, man, like, I, I get it. And I'm typically on team game selection and team pro- prove it over team bitch about the pricing or really team bitch about anything. But yeah, you know, just trying to answer the question and, and some things to consider. Okay, enough is enough. Let's get to everyone's favorite portion of the program. The listener questions. Producer Luke, hit the theme music. Okay, as always, got a ton of good ones. Really appreciate the questions. Going to do seven today. First one comes from Jack. He says, I have had the same cash lineup as you the last two weeks, but one less of my head-to-heads than you. Is this because the $2, $3 stakes, there are fewer quote-unquote correct lineups? Um, I don't think that's the right way to think about it. Uh, a couple people sent me a question or some version of this, and I've answered this before, but this was on the Edge feed, so I'll go ahead and answer again here. I think there are a few reasons why my head-to-head win rates would be better than someone else's with the same score. Uh, the first one is just being known, right? Like, I think there's some instances with people who are like, oh, I know out of that Adam Levitan guy, you know, he's a clown. He talks about sex. He knows nothing about football. Uh, I'll play him. And, and so I get better action than other people for sure. They just want to play me. Uh, second thing I would say is I am using the block function on DraftKings, which I explained how to use in the game selection strategy article on the site, which is free. Um, I use it to block some of the best head-to-head players out there. The third thing I would say, I never, ever forget to cancel out my head-to-heads. So what happens is if you post head-to-heads on DraftKings and they don't sell, DraftKings will auto-match you with someone else who posted. And of course, I don't want that, really. You know, like the people who post are are typically reasonably strong players. And again, please read the game selection article in my book for more on posting versus sitting head-to-heads. Really, I spend like a third of the book talking about a lot of this stuff. So if you're interested in it, it's like 10 bucks. It's called Skin to Fur on Amazon, or if you're an ETR full season sub, it's free. 
But anyways, yeah, that's just about canceling head-to-heads. Uh, fourth thing I would say is I try to get a majority of my head-to-heads out there on Sunday mornings between like 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. right before lock. And and that's just the best time because the best players are worried about other things. That's the time when we're most likely to catch, you know, the hungover bros or the mouth-breathing, mashing buttons on their phone bros uh, when they're setting their lineup. So, uh, you know, not desktop men like us. And the last thing I'd say is just raw volume. You know, I play anywhere from 200 to 250 head-to-heads every week. It's a really big sample. I don't really get a big sample at high stakes, of course. So like games at 215 through 5Ks, maybe, you know, only four to five, six each week. So my win rate comes from the low stakes. Profit massively stems from what happens at the higher stakes. But of course, you know, in terms of win rate, you're getting bigger sample. You get the more true your sample is. Um, yeah, so just some some thoughts there. Hope that makes sense. Question two from Ryan Stevens. He says, are you a Curb Your Enthusiasm fan? And if so, what's your favorite episode? Yeah, of course, Ryan, of course. I, I honestly watch like zero TV, almost none. Like these Game of Thrones fish and, and these Netflix binging fish. Like it's just not for me. It's really not. It goes so strongly against the team deathbed theorem. Um, I can see it now, you know, like I'm in the hospital, I'm dying, I can barely speak. But the one thing I'll have is that time I sat down on my couch and I watched you know, 10 straight hours of The Walking Dead. That's just an experience I always cherish. You know, come on, like, that's not what you're going to think about on your deathbed. You're not going to think about the 10 straight hours that you watch The Walking Dead. I mean, it's just insane. But anyways, yes, I, I never miss a curb. Uh, pretty much the only show that I watch. It's so outrageously good. I would say my favorite episode is probably Palestinian Chicken. Um, you know, curb is for sure not for everyone, but I, I suspect that if you listen to this pod, you'll probably like it if you haven't tried it yet. Uh, Question three comes from Lawrence Bailey. He says, could you please discuss the best options for tracking DFS results in order to to effectively self-scout, as well as some of the key things to watch slash track? Yeah, Lawrence, so I use RotoTracker, but there are a bunch of results tracking platforms out there. Um, Incredibly important to me. Uh, Things I'm tracking besides the obvious profit slash loss stuff. So game type results, am I winning with my cash lineup in triple ups and in 5X games? Uh, Tournament stuff, is my ITM rate, my in the money rate high, but I'm not actually winning money. I need to be more contrarian. Is my in the money rate too low? Maybe I'm going too far off the board. Is there a difference in my win rate by the size of the fields? And that's something I've actually been looking at a lot lately closer. How is my win rate correlated with the size of the field in the tournaments? You know, 200 people, 1,000 people, 5,000 people, 100,000 people. Uh, buy-in level. Am I losing at $100 double ups, but winning at $25? Same thing with head-to-heads. Maybe I should adjust my stakes. Uh, different sports. Am I actually showing a really good profit at something like golf and I don't know it? You know, Should I be playing bigger? So that's just like a, a few of the things. Uh, definitely valuable in my opinion if you're trying to be serious. Also helps to cross-check your 1099 that hopefully you get at the end of the year from DraftKings and FanDuel. You know, compare your tracking software numbers versus what they send you just to be sure that it's right. Uh, question four from Jada Chris says, Adam, I love my girlfriend, but I'm tight on cash. One of my super horny buds is looking to buy a package of feet picks from her. What do I charge for a bundle of 10 picks? So normally I'd say that, that selling off picks of your girlfriend for profit is a, is a huge no-no, right? Like we can find other ways to earn. But this feet thing, man, I, you know, I don't get it. I mean, I'm a sick pup for sure. So, so I don't judge, but the feet thing is just weird. I don't know. 
And I, 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 that's it. I like, I know a lot of dudes are into it. Like Rex Ryan famously. Um, so I mean, if it's just the foot, I'm not even sure anyone else could tell that it's her. Could they? I don't know. So like in this specific case, I guess I'm okay with it. But your friend here, he sounds pretty deranged. So I'd probably go for the max in this spot. Like he just stinks of desperation and he's obviously sick. And, and you know, like he's never getting away from this hand. Like once he starts thinking about the feet, he's never getting away from it. So we can definitely overbet the pot here. I think 2,500 sounds about right. I don't know. Good luck. Question five from Dave Holmes. He says, you love Andy Isabella with an irrational amount of passion. Among obscure players, who is your favorite, fa biggest fantasy crush of all time? Yeah, it's not even that I love Isabella so much. It's just infuriating to see a team draft him in the second round, have him produce every single time he steps on the field and then play him behind like the corpse of Larry Fitzgerald and Keyshawn Johnson and Demir Bird last year. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, you guys know I don't get into this guy is good or this guy is bad takes. It's just not the way I think it's right to play DFS for the most part. So when I get a quote-unquote crush on a guy, it's really just a joke usually, usually from preseason or Penn State, you know, back in the old days of preseason DFS, Raheem Mostert, team preseason, Aldrick Robinson. Those would probably be my my two favorites, Lord Aldrick Robinson. And then the Penn State guys, Godwin and Jasicki and Hamler and Saquon and Miles, uh, Trace McSorley in preseason. Yeah, I feel some connection to them. Like in theory, we both chose the same school. It's not like the professional athletes who are just going there for work, they get drafted, they have no say in it. Like the college guys actually chose. They wanted to go to Penn State also, so... Yeah, I don't know. It's fun to root for certain obscure guys, though. Like, it's no fun to root for Michael Thomas and, you know, DeAndre Hopkins. Like, that's not that fun. Everybody roots for those guys. Uh, question six from G Raptor. He says, I've had my two biggest hits ever back to back, and I am up 60,000 in NFL. Do I go full send and throw in an entry in the 4K Millimaker this week? On one hand, it's way out of my normal bankroll range. On the other, how often do you get a one in 600 chance? at a million bucks. Damn, well, shout out to you, G-Raptor, hashtag uh, how rich. So basically what you're asking about is the concept of shot taking. And I know this might surprise some people out there, but I am actually a huge proponent of shot taking. In a game where, like DFS, where it is so hard to know your true ROI and it's always shifting due to changing game conditions, we may never, you know, really be able to move up without shot taking. Now, I know that we have to think about it responsibly. And I'd encourage people to think about how much of their net worth they want to be their bankroll. Not, not how many raw dollars they want to be their bankroll, what percentage of their net worth they want to be their bankroll for DFS. So let's say 1% or 2%. By winning 60K, your net worth has gone up, so your bankroll is bigger. But the key part here is that your bankroll should still stay in the same percent that it was before. So if the 4K millimaker is still within reason for you, for your new role, as a shot, then I'd say go for it, man. Uh, go for it, G-Raptor, if it is. So, GL out there, go win it. All right, last question, questions we're going to do today. Uh, from Brian Schultz. How do you plan on dealing with your newfound competition in the battle for gender selection market share? And from Ben, what type of legal action are you planning to take against gender select? Okay, I don't know if you guys saw this. This is crazy. So, you guys know I've been doing this gender labs bit for, for I don't know how long. You know, maybe probably like, I don't know, four, three, four, five years now. And it all started in reality though. Actually, I wanted to have boys. And you know, guys know I'm, I'm kind of a control freak. So I thought to myself, 
man, there must be some way I can have control of this situation. Like I can't live with it just being stone randomness. So I did some research on male versus female sperm, their characteristics, did some poking around on the internet on some like wild, ridiculous forums. But anyways, I developed a plan and I executed. Um, did this research and execution actually help me in going two for two with boys? I mean, look, obviously it's a 50-50 shot each time. And so then I have a 25% chance of going two for two. But one thing I know for sure is that people are absolutely fascinated by this concept. I mean, everywhere I go, people ask me about strat, you know, if I'm joking or if I'm serious, if I can help them. Uh, they, they love talking about it. Random people. I mean, just totally random people I meet want to talk about. It. I was at this 40th birthday party and this woman comes up to me. I mean, this never happens to me. Uh, you know, a good looking woman actually approaches me and starts talking about gender optimization. Apparently like her husband or, or whatever listens to the show. And this woman is just engrossed, like asking about Strat and ADOP. It was just wild stuff. But anyways, I knew this was something that people love to talk about and are interested in. But the joke part of it, the bit part of it is that I didn't think there was a real business because I can't prove it. I can't prove that my methods work, really. So when someone sent me a link to this site, Gender Select, and you can check it out at the URL uh, chooseagender.com, I legit thought it was a competing bit. Like I could have written this shit. It says some of the stuff language on their website. Have you ever wondered if there was a way to influence the gender of your next child? Gender Select LLC allows families to do just that. Our website contains information on our process, other gender selection methods, cost, forms to get started, and contact information. Like, I really thought that someone created this whole site just to troll me. Like, maybe mans or something like that. But but it's real. They're, they call themselves Gender Select LLC. Like, you can't make this up. They're also doing... The, the key point here, though, is that they're doing a surgical procedure. And see, this is where a Gender Select LLC can't compete with the real thing, Gender Labs LLC, aka Gender Consultants. We get the job done by optimizing the intercourse. Our competition has to resort to actual procedures. So I'm not worried about it. You know, that you know they can have their own stuff. I have my own stuff. Uh, not going to be any legal action. It is what it is. Crazy, man. What a world out there. All right. Thanks to everybody for listening. We'll be back with Silva for the Team by Team pods. For those of you guys who are premium subscribers, we'll be back on Friday night for the Kama Sutra show, position by position through the main slate, and then again on Sunday for the last-minute live stream. So, for Jerry, for Producer Luke, I am Adam. Good luck, everybody. Mm-hmm.